You're listening to Ed Curation, the podcast where teachers talk curriculum. We make it easier for educators to find the resources they need to create fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Welcome to another edition of Ed Curation, where teachers talk curriculum. And today I have Kathy Zaleski, social studies teacher from North Glen High School in Colorado. And Kathy is here to talk to us about restorative justice. Thank you for being on the show today, Kathy. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So tell our listeners about you as a teacher. How long have you been teaching? Who do you teach? What's a student population that you work with? What are they like? Let us know about the environment where you work. So I've been teaching for about 10 years now. I actually started my teaching career as a Peace Corps volunteer in Macedonia, worked in Arizona very briefly, and then I've been in Colorado for most of my teaching at this point. So North Glen High School, I teach world history, college placement, government, college placement, economics, and sociology. So I work with actually most of the grades in high school, 9th, 10th, and 12th, which is really, really great. A lot of the students that I work with are Latinx, along with students who are white, and then another very diverse mix of students coming from a lot of different backgrounds. So it's a pretty rich school when we look at culture and languages that are represented. That sounds like an exciting place to be, especially with your background. And what is it that you like about teaching? Actually, a student was just asking about this the other day. So this has been very much on my mind. So one thing that I really love is that with teaching, I get to be really, really creative. So when it comes to the strategies that I use and then the content that I teach, especially with social studies, I can be pretty creative with what I teach and how I teach it and find lots of different ways to include the backgrounds of my students. I've also found that teaching is very dynamic, always changing. So that's always causing me to change what I'm doing. So I feel like I'm always very, just constantly changing and every day is different, which is really, really good for me because I tend to get bored easily. And then finally, teaching's really helps me better understand my students and the diversity of their experiences because there are lots of different stories being represented in all of my classes. So it's just really helped me better understand people and their stories and where they come from. Right. And so you're here to talk to us a little bit about restorative justice. And for any listeners that don't know what restorative justice is, can you kind of tell us a little bit about it? Sure. So restorative justice is an alternative to punitive discipline. And of course, if we look at it in the context of the criminal justice system, it's an alternative to, well, to the criminal justice system. So within schools, it's a way to teach problem solving, build community, and it really works on helping people, whether it's students, teachers, educators, anyone who works in the building, parents. It's a great way to consider alternatives to behavioral issues that come up. So it's about determining what happened in a situation, who was impacted by it, who can take responsibility for what happened, and then finding solutions to repair harms. How did you learn about restorative justice? So in, I believe it was the year, okay, let's see, I think it was 2014. I was working at a school in Jefferson County, which is one of the largest school districts in the state of Colorado. And the school I was at, it was a middle school. It was in turnaround status. And we were on, we had two years basically to turn that school around. So we had new administration come in 
And their whole objective was using these practices called restorative practices. So I had heard of it, I had read about it, but I wasn't really familiar with what the details were. So the whole idea was that our climate and culture was not great. We were actually known as Fight Club, which is not really something that I was very proud of. The whole idea was that if we could turn around climate culture, then learning would happen. So administration came in and these people were in Kirksey, Jen Galegos, Stephanie Mann. The whole idea was they were going to work on discipline and climate and culture. And our job as teachers was just to teach. So I was really fortunate because I was pretty early on, I was trained in facilitating informal conferences. And then later that year, I went to my first training at Longmont Community Justice Partnership, which is a nonprofit in Longmont, Colorado. And I attended their restorative tools for the classroom training. And after that, I was totally hooked because I had seen at the school level, tons of change in climate and culture within a few months. And then after learning specific practices, I just really loved it because it was finally something that I could actually implement pretty easily to improve the climate and culture in my own classroom. Wow. So is it, is it really the Longmont Community Justice Center and their restorative tools for the classroom that really took you from kind of a teacher that didn't know a ton about restorative justice to someone who could use these practices daily? Yeah. So it was definitely this training that I went to. It was a, I think it was just a one, it was just a one day, eight hour training. And I came out of that training with so many new ideas and so many practices that I implemented pretty much instantly. Like I I learned about connection circles, which I'll talk about as we get further into this. I started using them right away. And that's really also how I got more involved with that nonprofit organization and really set me on this whole path of using restorative practices. That sounds really exciting. And so for our listeners that maybe aren't in Colorado or don't have access to the Longmont Community Justice Center, are there other tools that you know about or resources that can help teachers learn about restorative justice and how to use it in their classroom? Yeah. So what I've noticed more and more is that all around the country, there's actually more organizations that are doing training on restorative practices. So one suggestion I have is just to check out in your own community to see if there are organizations doing it. Because I know in California, especially around Oakland, that's pretty big. And then, of course, in Colorado. And some books that I have read that really have helped cement my understanding of restorative practices are any of the little books of Justice and Peace Building series. They are books that are about 90 to 100 pages, really, really easy to read. And for the most part, they're very application-based, which, of course, as a teacher, I highly appreciate. I love philosophy. And after a while, I just need tools that I can implement right away. So some of the books that I would recommend from them are Restorative Discipline for Schools. There's another one that came out, I believe it was this year, called The Little Book of Race and Restorative Justice. That's a really great read. The Little Book of Circle Processes is another one. And then to help understand where restorative practices come from, Return to the Teachings, which Exploring Aboriginal Justice, is a really great read to understand the philosophy and how it comes from Indigenous communities, this whole idea. And then another book I've been reading to learn more about institutional racism and how to be more equitable in how I teach and incorporate restorative practices is Not Light But Fire by Matthew McKay. 
And then coming in the spring, just to put a plug for one of my friends who is the director of Longmont Community Justice Partnership is going to be the little book of restorative teaching tools. And that will come out in spring 2020, which I'm pretty excited to read about all the different practical tools that will be listed in that book. That sounds like that's going to be a really a useful tool to educators all over. I mean, you know, they can order that book and it sounds like it's going to be really hands-on sort of be able to apply it right away. So you've mentioned this circle process a couple of times. Tell us what that is. So within restorative practices, there's a few different tools that can be used and pretty much most of them are based in a circle. So if you ever go to a restorative practices training, you're probably going to sit in a circle. So one of the tools that I use pretty often as a classroom teacher are connection circles. And they have a couple different names depending on just the kind of language that's used with restorative practices. They could be also called proactive circles. I like to refer to them as connection circles, though. So basically what this is, it's just a way to build community and build relationships with people. I use them weekly with all of my classes. My class sizes are about 30 to 36 students. So I find that it can be pretty challenging to check in and speak with students every single day. And what's really nice about using a connection circle is that I get to at least hear from every student once a week. Mm -hmm. So the connection circle becomes a place where we build community. And I'm always using some kind of affective question, meaning I'm using a question that is trying to get to some kind of emotion or learning something about the people that are part of the circle. And also what I really love about this process is that it can be differentiated and modified for every student. So even my students who are learning English, there's ways to modify it for them so they can be a part of it. Because in this space, there's no opting out. And so what does a connection circle look like? What happens? So in the process, we start by always going over norms. We will go over the question. There's some kind of talking piece which helps signal who actually has the floor and whose turn it is. And then there's the process of answering the question. So as a facilitator, I always go last and someone in the circle begins. So for instance... Questions can be really fun and it can just be more about community building or I might tie a question to content. So for instance, a question I asked my freshmen this year pretty early on was how do you think the older generation of people describe people in your age group, which was a pretty fun question. Just trying to get a sense of how they think that they're perceived by society. And in my sociology class, when we were doing a unit on education, I wanted to do a question that helped me get to know them as well as tie to what we were studying. So one question was naming things that make going to school hard. And of course, as a teacher, that can help me understand the challenges that students face. And then I can make sure I'm addressing them. And I can also take those challenges to people in the building who can work on that too. I love that. Both of those questions are amazing. It reminds me of, I mean, years and years and years ago when I was teaching in a, in a school district with, you know, 97% second language learners. And we were learning all about the importance of lowering the effective filter so that students can feel more comfortable to take risks and trying out the new language and how these questions that you're proposing would really lower the effective filter. I mean, I can, I'm just imagining it and I can almost see the stress level go down in the room, right? When they're asked to talk about some of these things and, to, and the, the fact that you as their teacher care enough to know what they think 
about both of these example questions you've given. It just sounds really, really powerful. A great way to build culture and community. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's it's also a really great way to understand the kind of trauma that students are also bringing into class, which of course helps guide my instruction. So it's it's also just fun. I mean, teaching high school can be very, very content heavy. And this can become a space where all of us just get to breathe for about 10 minutes. We get to know each other. We get to laugh. Sometimes sometimes we cry. And it can also be a really great way to respond to events in the community. So for instance, I think this was a couple of years ago, there was a shooting at a Walmart that was just across the highway from us. And one of my students came in first thing the next morning and asked if we could do a circle just to debrief and kind of process what happened. Like totally, let's definitely use the circle as a way to just talk about what what happened, how you're feeling, where you're at. And it's also a really safe place to do that. So we take something that could have been really taken out of control and we can put some safe constraints around how to talk about it. Also with Parkland, let's see, that was 2018. We used a circle as a way to debrief that school shooting. And we talked about I also really wanted to hear from students about solutions and ideas they had, because I think so often as adults, we ignore student voices and they have really good ideas. And it's also really important to understand how they view what's happening around them, especially when it comes to school safety. So that's been another way that I can use circles to process and help kids get through these traumatic events. And then we can focus on learning. It sounds like the students have really started to own this process themselves. How long do you think that took from the time that they're first introduced to circles until they actually, it occurs to them to ask for a circle time to help them process, you know, whatever new kind of community situation arises? I think it depends on the class. So what I've found is usually... About two months into school, I will start providing opportunities for students to lead circles. So there's a process that they go through where they can write a question. I'll look over the question just to make sure it's appropriate and that it's effective. And then they can lead a circle. So usually that happens within two months. And then as for students actually requesting circles, I found that it happens anywhere from about three months in and maybe a little bit later. But I think what I found is that once I give students the space to actually facilitate and take over a circle, that's when they start to understand that it's not about me as a teacher and what I want to do. It's really about them and what they need. That's just beautiful. So tell us a little bit about how your teaching has changed as a result of learning about restorative practices. It's changed my teaching in a few different ways. So one thing that's really helped me understand is how to have more productive conversations with students when conflict arises. So I I think back to one of my first years teaching in the United States. I worked at a pretty tough school in Arizona, in urban Phoenix. And there are just so many times when I just didn't have the language and the questions to know how to speak with students. And after doing so many facilitations of bigger community group conferences, which is often what people think when they think of restorative justice, like the circles where there's the responsible party, a police officer, community members, after doing a bunch of those, I've just learned how to ask better questions, how to listen for needs, how to validate needs, and then how to really work with students as well as colleagues on finding solutions that 
will actually repair the impacts of the behavior. So it's really helped with having better conversations. By doing circles, I have seen students take on stronger leadership roles. And these are often students who are not very successful academically. It's also really helped me drive my curriculum. Like if I hear that, like for instance, I've had a few students who come from very violent situations or come from places where violent things are happening. And if I know that they're bringing that kind of trauma with them, that's going to change probably how I'm going to be teaching. Like for example, like a few years ago, in one of my units in world history, I would do a simulation on what it was like to be a refugee. If I know that I have kids in the room who have escaped persecution in countries, I'm probably not going to do that simulation because it's probably going to trigger them. So it just helps me better reach the needs of my students. And also, if I know that a student's coming from Ethiopia, for example, maybe I'm going to find a way to incorporate that in the curriculum so she can learn more about where she's, where her home country is, as well as possibly provide an opportunity for her to educate her peers if she wants to take that on. Wow. Sounds really, really helpful and supportive to the students that you serve. Can you tell any particular story of success that one student achieved through the restorative practices that you use? Yeah. So there's one story that I absolutely love to tell. So I had a student, he graduated, I think it was two years ago now, and he was known as not having, you know, being very successful academically. He had some major behavioral needs and he would avoid work as much as possible. And it came to a point where I decided that maybe one thing I would try with him is having him lead circles. So I really helped prep him. I made a script so he could read the script, which now I have just up in my room for any students that want to lead circles. And he would pick a question. He would bring in a talking piece that mattered to him. He actually started facilitating circles more and more. And although it didn't necessarily help him, like his grades were not very stellar. And it became a way for him to gain some confidence in himself and finally have a leadership opportunity that was positive. So it wasn't just getting negative attention constantly. It was a way for him to get positive attention. So what happened is, I think it was two years ago, we had a grant for implementing restorative practices in our building. And there was a meeting that we decided that we wanted to show teachers how to use connection circles. So we decided the best way to do that was to actually have teachers in a circle answering a question. So we had multiple circles since we have a pretty big staff. And he was one of the students that instantly I thought of that could lead and facilitate the circle for staff. And he was so professional with how he did it. He was great about facilitating the circle, picking a question, and also making sure that the educators in the circle felt supportive and then answered any questions they had about it. And then fast forward, he brought me a talking piece, which I thought was really sweet. And then he was also using these kinds of circles with his staff when he was a manager at his job, which I thought was, I was like, I can retire now. I did my job. (laughs) No kidding. That's such a beautiful story. I mean, even if his social studies and history grades weren't as, as you would have them, the skills that he's learning, right? The life skills, the professional skills, it's just so powerful. I love that story. And I think one of the sweetest things was I was going to be traveling to Southeast Asia later that summer. I think he still had one year left in school. 
But before I went on this trip, he was like, Miss, don't forget to get talking paces while you're there. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I did this great trip, came back with a bunch of new talking pieces. And when school started, he came in instantly to like check out the new talking pieces. He wow. He made his senior year and just talked about how much he loved the process. And it was just really, really powerful as a teacher to know that he learned those skills. So Kathy, we've learned a little bit about restorative practices from you. We've learned that a big part of it are kind of circles, connection circles, or using circle processes to kind of build community. We've learned that when we get trained in how to kind of use restorative practices, we become better facilitators of conversations among students when conflict occurs. And is there, is there anything else you'd like to share about restorative justice for our listeners that they haven't heard about yet? Yeah. So I think as educators, we have a responsibility to make sure that we are not funneling students into the school to prison pipeline. And part of the way that we could really be intentional about not doing this is using these practices in our classroom. And these practices are, they're simple. And it it does take some training to learn how to use them. And it's also not a lot of it. It's just putting a name to probably things that educators are already doing and giving them some more protocol actually how to do it. And I also think about zero tolerance and how much that's hurt students of color and students who are already at a disadvantage when it comes to how our country works. And just think that it's our responsibility to make sure that we are doing whatever we can to make sure that we are helping helping them learn how to problem solve. And again, making sure that we are not contributing to mass incarceration and school to prison pipeline. For sure. So what teachers specifically would you recommend check this out? I think it can be any teacher. It can be any grade level. It can be any content level. And it's really for a teacher who's trying to figure out how do I build my classroom community? How do I build a culturally responsive curriculum? How do I build my classroom management strategies? And it's also great for administration, counselors. So it's really ideal for, for any educator. This has been great. I'm so glad to have you on the show today, Kathy. Before we sign off, Is there any new kind of curriculum resource product or tool that you might be looking for? It sounds like you have kind of the culture piece really strong in your class. Are you looking for more tools to help you with that? Or are you looking in the future for teaching resources in other areas? Could you let us know about what you're looking for? Yeah. So something I have been really trying to find, and I'm having a hard time finding, is a kind of it's like a world history book for young people. So for instance, Howard Zinn has his book that is a history of the United States for young people. And I have just been looking all over the place for some kind of book that's a history for young people for world history. Just really teach perspectives, effects of behaviors, and then creating a baseline of understanding of the world through the lens of people impacted. Well, I will keep my eyes posted here at Ed Curation for you. I have a couple meetings coming up with some kind of social studies experts and curriculum directors at districts throughout the country. So I appreciate you sharing that need. And it sounds like a really smart resource to develop if it's not already. And if I find something that I think would be helpful, I'll definitely let you know. Yeah, that'd be great. 
Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Kathy. That was very informative. I'm excited about this kind of way to teach culturally responsive practices for students at the classroom level and that there are resources coming out that can help teachers be successful with this. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Ed Curation. We hope you learned something today about a curriculum resource that produces fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Check out edcuration.com to find out more. That's E-D-C-U-R-A-T-I-O-N.com.